the migration trickle went into like a full-on damn breach flood. The deer were coming. That little cold snap, even though it wasn't enough snow to, you know, interfere with feeding or anything like that, it was just enough to really trigger the migration. Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. Good morning, Rockslide. Robbie Denning here. Early October, rifle seasons are right around the corner. Some of them are already open. Some of them have already closed. Wyoming closed early this year. Hope it did what it was supposed to do and saved a few bucks. Um, I think it was saving bucks anyways, because I sure wasn't seeing guys taking very many. But on to the episode. Uh, I've got a great episode planned today. We're going to talk about a very special hunt on a very special buck, a net Boone and Crockett buck. They are as rare as unicorns. I've only seen four or five in my whole life. And, uh, you know, in, in the West every year, just a couple get taken. And so they're very special. I usually talk about gross but I'm happy to talk about Nat when a buck actually nets out in the book. So uh, my friend will be on today. We'll be talking about that. But before we get to that, I wanted to give you a wrap-up of my personal archery season. I did an episode in early September. I think it was called Archery Hunts episode or something like that. You can go back and listen to that. And then that buck that I was stalking on the second or third day of the season that got up out of his bed and he walked kind of out of the canyon and I never never saw where he went wasn't even sure if I spooked him that buck that's what we're going to talk about today so um, I hunted him three more days after that just stayed right from that camp and never saw him again saw a new buck that was a pretty nice three point probably going to be a 30 inch buck soon Um, he's already in his mid to upper 20s and kind of looks young and just a good looking deer that was the only other mature buck I saw Uh, so I gave that area a rest and hunted another area spent mm, I think six days and that area was in the heart of the winter kill and was not good was not good at all Uh, I think I saw six bucks in six days should have saw 12 to 20 that tells you how how rough it is in some places Uh, didn't get any stocks just didn't say anything I wanted to stock best buck maybe a light horn 25 incher uh so as it got later in the month you know i hunted well i tell you how many days i hunt i am not bragging i'm embarrassed of how many days it takes to get a big mule deer i really am and uh so gosh i think that by september 15th i hunted about 12 days and i had to get back to work i had to get back to the family so i took a full i think eight nine days off no hunting didn't say the word hunting did shoot my bow a little bit just to just to stay tuned just did the cold bow stuff about one arrow a day some days i shot more than that but always paying attention to that first arrow of the day and i was uh, i think I'm, i've been staying about 90 percent of 60 yards so been wanting to get everything under 60 yards uh in, in, in when i'm stalking so um, i was home and then it was getting to about third week of september 
and I wanted, it was late in the third week of September, to go check and see if that buck had came back. And this is far enough away that, you know, you don't just run up there for the afternoon. You know, you need, you need to go for a, you know, two-day hunt at least. So um, I planned four days and got there the last four days of the season and went right to the core area where I had seen him in and took the big glass so I could see that plus not just put all my eggs in that basket I could see the surrounding country and if you've read my books or podcasts or ever been to my seminars I always talk about that kind of square mile that I think a buck spends a big portion of his time in maybe not all his time but a big portion of his time and uh, if square mile sounds small but go overlay a square mile over rough deer country there is so much country there you cannot cover it uh, properly, especially if it's got cover in four or five days. It, I mean, you can, but you're, you're, you can't walk away and say you've seen everything. Uh, but part of the reason I say that is just experience over the years is that if I find, refine bucks again, either bucks from previous scouting in the summer or bucks during a, a, a season, maybe I've, I've bumped a buck or I just didn't get them. It, it seems like if I find him again, he's still in that square mile. I mean, that's that's going on like 30 years. Now, I've talked to guys that, you know, run heavy trail cameras and stuff and, you know, that, that, that have documented bucks outside of that. And I'm talking all pre-rut, not rut, rut. I get it, rut. Yeah, they're five miles that night. I get it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking, you know, prior to the onset of, you know, late October when those bucks abandon those summer range core areas. It's always been within about a square mile that I found them. But that doesn't mean I just stay in that square mile. I get bored too, and I and I go outside of it, and that's why I can confidently say that I I just I just never find them unless they come back into that core area. So that first morning back, um, this is now like the seventh hunting day in the area. Uh, if I count the six days I hunted at the beginning of the season, uh, five six days something like that, um, did not see him. In fact, no deer in that draw. That that cut that I talked about in that episode uh, did see some does in there uh, didn't see any bucks and it, it's pretty open not totally unexpected as they get later into September and their antlers are hard uh, I, by the way I saw bucks with uh, velvet antlers later this year than I've seen since the hard winter of 0708 when I saw a bike a 180 buck on September 18th in full velvet um, it and this year, 15th, 16th, 17th, I was still seeing a few. Um, you know, it's about a week or two late, probably. Seems may, like maybe on these hard winters that they get started late in the spring, so they might keep their velvet late. Um, so, anyways, getting off on a tangent there. But uh, by by the time I'm at this hunt, I'm talking about now, everything's rubbed. Okay, um, everybody I've talked to the last previous week, nobody's seeing anything in velvet. And so that canyon, because it doesn't have a lot of heavy cover in it, when I'm talking heavy cover, I'm talking about stuff that's taller than the deer that they can walk underneath, okay? Um, there's cover, there's bedding cover there where they lay down, they're underneath vegetation. But when they stand up, you know, there's, there, you can see them. So not totally surprised to not see them in that. I think that's why we lose track of bucks as we get later in September in, if we don't, really fan out a little bit in that kind of square mile we'll lose track of them because they've just moved to the cover doesn't mean they're in there all day but you know compared to being out in the wide open for two hours a morning you know now they're out in the wide open for 15 minutes after sunrise it really cuts down 
your opportunity to see him. Even if you're on the right glassing knob, you might be glassing another hillside for 15 minutes, and he walks out and feeds 800 yards underneath you, and you just don't happen to point your binoculars that way. And during that 5, 10, 15 minutes that he's out, you're looking, you're doing a good job. You're glassing. You're glassing other places, and you just don't see him. I think that happens a lot more than we think. That's why I'm always reluctant to give up on him when I'm not seeing him because I just have a hard time convincing myself they're not right there because they're hard to see. So that canyon, no, 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 no bucks in it. And uh, I had four days, so I thought, you know, I, I am going to spread out. This has got a mixture of pretty wide open sagebrush country and then, you know, heavy cover. So I spread out for the next two days, and I got outside of that square mile. I mean, I, I went to, you know, probably two square miles. And that's huge if you think about it. Two, think about how big two square miles is when you overlay it over rough country. And I was seeing bucks. In fact, I was getting kind of excited because you know, I was seeing enough bucks. I kept thinking, man, he's probably with one of these little bachelor herds. Uh, the bucks are still batched up. But, you know, I'm not seeing nine, ten bucks in a herd. Of course, I didn't see that at all this year because it's hard to find nine or ten bucks in one area. But, you know, not the big bachelor herds you typically see in August. And now I'm seeing more like two or three bucks together, four, you know, stuff like that. Um, and so I burned two more days looking outside of that uh, core area and didn't seem. And then I was in the evenings, I would go back to the core area and glass. Evenings are tough. You just don't get that long of a time of them being out. I mean, they may be out at 5 o'clock for 15 minutes, but, you know, you got to be right in, right in the right spot. So evenings were slow, but I, I did spend time in the core area. Um, you, you have to glass to the west in this area, and it's tough in the evening to glass to the west because uh, of the setting sun. You know, you're looking into a lot of shadows, so you're success rate goes down and um, I don't even remember if I saw a buck in the evening those other nights three nights I guess it was and so then the last day I thought okay I'm going to go back to where I had seen him and you know his core area but I, I did not go to that kind of open cut that he had been in I just decided it's too open you know unless other people were hunting there while I was gone it's had enough time to heal up you know he should have been back in there if he was still using it I just ruled it out and uh, I talk about this in my first book, Hunting Big Mule Deer, if you're doing really long-range glassing. I realize the whole shadow thing, you need to glass into the shadows. Um, that's, that's important. Uh, I've talked about glassing on northwest slopes after the sun comes up because that's the shaded slope for a few hours in the morning when the deer is still active, and a lot of times you can catch them there. Um, but uh, if you really want to see bucks you know, beyond a mile at sunrise, you've got to have that sun behind you. And it just illuminates everything. Now, it causes the bucks to move, especially the older bucks, because they don't want to, you know, they're vampires. They don't like one ray of sunshine on them um, if, they, if they can help it. And, um, but, you know, if you're looking at a lot of country, and that was my tactic for the last day, i got to be able to see a big swath of country, you know, a couple, two, three miles, 180-degree um, arc from my right hand sweeping around to my left hand. You know, I'm looking into... That whole square mile, probably plus some. Because deer country is, you know, rugged and up and down, good buck country. And you can't see it all, but I could see a lot of it. And I thought, that's my best tactic. It's the last day. In fact, I kind of got stuff tidied up at camp that morning. Thought, yeah, it's probably going to be over by 10 a.m. today. You know, if you don't find them by then, um, it's it's pretty rough after that. And uh, so, had the sun at my back, sun coming up. 
and I'm I'm low. I'm not high. I'm not on a high glassing point. I'm low in the valley, looking up on the on the big hillsides. And sun comes up. I think like 7:30, 7:40. I got him in the binocs, and it's him. He's with three other bucks. They're about 1.5 miles away, and on their feet, feeding, headed towards cover. And literally by 8:10, 8:15, I probably need to look at the timestamp on my I mag viewed him and um, I think it was like 810 so I got to watch him for about 20 minutes and you know this isn't even good watching him this is like well it took me 10 minutes just to figure out if it was him I just could not get him to you know get you like I talked about this in the last couple episodes their antlers get washed out when they're in the bright sun and then the, there's no shadows behind them so that took about 10 minutes and I finally got a good look at him I saw that deep fork um, you know he's hard horn now and uh, he, he's a good-looking buck. He's still in that, I think, I don't know, 25, 27, 28. Eh, maybe not 28, but right around in there. But just a good-looking buck. Basket frame. Um, you know, I'm still I'm still getting him at that 175. I just don't think he's heavy enough to go 180. Um, you know, he's a lighter frame buck. Not willow-horned, but but not heavy. You know, not as heavy as he should be. But, you know, he's he's big-bodied deer. I'm sure he's an older deer. It's just probably the kind of rack that he has. And uh, so I... I I confirmed it was him, and then he made the cover. And, you know, the cover is, you know, heavy, aspen, maple, serviceberry, you know, all the stuff that's over your head. This isn't timber country, so there's no timber. But uh, he got into that, and I just stayed right there. I didn't try to stalk him. You know, they're, they're a mile and a half away, but I got a circle way from the valley, clear up onto the ridge above them, and there's just, just too much can happen. And so um, he, they got in the cover and talk about boring. Uh, they were in there for three hours and never came out. This is a, this, they're in a draw, just, just heavy cover all the way to the top of the draw. And I, I thought, you know, they, they could stay in there all day. They probably won't. They'll probably come out and at least feed on these hillsides. But I thought I had a pretty good chance if they left that draw that they I would see them as long as I wasn't taking a nap on the ground or glass in the wrong place. And in that meantime, I, I pulled up my Onyx, and I still had a pin from where I stalked him in the beginning of the season, and I dropped a pin to where I thought he was now. had all the maps downloaded, so I had really high-resolution maps, and uh, I could pretty much see the, the cut in the cover where they went in. You know, there's kind of a little V in the cover, I, so I marked that. Um, I was in 3D mode, so when I do, when you do line distance on Onyx, it gives you the up and down terrain. It's not, it's not as the crow flies. He was 1,200 yards from where he was three and a half weeks prior. As the crow flies, he was just over the hill. He was just literally in the next draw, 500 yards away. So back to what I opened the episode with. That's why I don't run all, well, I do run all over the place, but I just don't find them when I run all over the place. I usually find them, if they show back up, most most of the time, it's for me, all the time. It's, it's back in that one square mile core area. Um, I'm not saying they live there all the time, but I just sure can't seem to find them when they leave it. So anyways, there he is. I'm like, well, victory, at least I found him. So I watch that draw, and that was about 8, I think at 11.30, I saw a buck walk out onto the sagebrush hill and start feeding out of the draw. So I watched for a while, and now I'm getting mirage. It's warm. Um, 
and you know a little harder to identify the bucks. They've moved up the draw. They're more we're getting closer to two miles now, and I watch them for a while. And uh, I'm, I'm sure he's in them. I'm seeing three or four bucks. I'm not seeing them all at the same time, but just going on faith, he's with them. They they work out the top of the draw, and man, by 12, 12 30, they are in the wide open, just like walking around in the sagebrush. Um, you know, just um, it surprises me just how vulnerable they'll make themselves in the middle of the day, but they don't do it very long. And they cross an open ridge, drop down into almost a mirror image draw of the one they just came out of, the next draw over. Uh, same amount of cover, kind of the same deal, big long draw full of full of, uh, of, of aspen maple type cover and they dropped into there i was able to keep they, they left one buck behind i lost one bucks so and i'm only looking at three and these seem to be the the three most mature bucks by the way that big wide three point he was with him they joined up he was one of those other bucks and then another buck that was you know a, a mature buck not a, not a big buck but you know better than a small four point and uh, they got over in that draw, and it, it, I've seen this before. It's almost like rutting behavior when they are going to pick their day bed that the oldest buck gets real grumpy. And it's almost like when they're running off bucks during the rut. Uh, same thing, same postures. They, they drop their ears. They, they, they get nasty with them. They charge them. And, and this is a buck they've been feeding with, you know, just five minutes before. You know, they're almost nose to nose. Now they chase them off. So I, I watched that for a few minutes, and he actually chased those other two bucks off. And then he went across the hill and bedded in some cover uh, right on the edge of it. And I couldn't see him in his bed, but I knew about where he was. But I thought, man, this is great. He ran those other bucks. Those other two bucks are probably at least 100 yards away from him. It's about one o'clock now, and I'm pretty sure they're in their set, their 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 day bed. But you just never know. And you know, by the way that they've moved now in the direction I have to go, I'm th- I'm planning on three hours to get over there. And I'm thinking, man, okay, so it's one o'clock. Get all gathered up here. Gosh, I'm not going to get up there till four. Well, by that time, you know, they're on the east-facing side of the mountain. Think of what the thermals are doing late in September at 4 o'clock. Uh, Marlon Holden talked about this on our episode a few weeks ago. They're dropping, and I have to come in from above on this buck. So, uh, and, and by 4 o'clock, they're kind of thinking about getting up again, which is okay if you're there and you can see them, but, man, you don't want them to get up while you're moving. And uh, so I thought, I, I better get going. I better not wait. And so I worked my way around there. It didn't take three hours. It took about two hours and 20 minutes. And um, I, I, I came up the ridge behind him, tied the horse. Um, I didn't mention that. I had the horse. Tied the horse, and I've got him marked approximately where I thought he was in his in his bed. And I'm like 180 yards from him. And um, so I... The other thing, too, we had good wind. We had a little front coming through that last day of archery season, and uh, that, that was very helpful. Part of, part of the reason I got so tied the horse so close to him, just because I could. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm in sustained 25, 30-mile-an-hour winds on the ridgetops. I mean, you couldn't even hear yourself talk if you wanted to. And then if you drop off the ridgetops, you know, it's 10 to 20-mile-an-hour gusts. Perfect for stalking. So I kind of hurried because by now, you know, it's 3.30, 3.40, something like that. I want to get down there before he gets up because, you know, with that much cover available, he gets up and moves five yards, and you don't see him get up. You just don't know where he is. So I got over there, and, man, I did good view. I could see down into the cover. Uh, It was classic stuff I've seen him bed in. That buck I missed last year, he bedded in very similar stuff. Uh, they, They like tall grass that's like, 
taller than their back. Like when you stand up, it's like up to your eyes. I think they like that stuff because they can f get up and feed a little bit in it. They're not totally visible. And that's what he was in, um, but he was bedded off in the cover just out of it. But same kind of place. And uh, so I'm, I'm moving very slow, um, super rough. Um, I didn't take my boots off. I was thinking about some of those things that Marlon said. And, and plus, I just wasn't quite sure if he was still in his bed, if he'd moved a little bit. I, I didn't want to get stuck out on the hillside um, in just my stock and shoes and have to move. And this, this country is really rough, rocky, cactus-type stuff. So I spend from 340 to 5 working my way down the edge of that draw and just glassing into it. And where he chased those bucks off to, he chased them up on an open ridge that had a little patch of cover on it, and they were in there. I could see that right into it. Now, not good or well enough that I could see a bedded buck, but I mean, I was like, if those bucks get up, I'll see them too. I got to be kind of careful. I'm kind of out in the open. Well, fast forward 5.30 or later, I've worked my way all the way down through that draw, even to where I had marked his bed, and I found tracks. I don't know if they were his. It's not the kind of country that leaves a good impression of a track, but I could, I could tell there had been deer right there. I didn't get him. I didn't see him. He's he he moved. I don't know where he went. I don't know if he moved. Um, yeah, well, he had to have moved while I was circling around in that two and a half hours. I don't think he moved while I was out on the hillside because I should have seen him unless he just stayed in the cover. I never saw those other bucks. That's why I think they got up and moved. So that's what happened. But I still felt really good hike, hiking out there, hiking out of there in the evening up to the horse because I thought, you know what? I found him. I found him. And I, I've, I've had so many bucks over the years that I lose and I don't find them. You know, I'm less than 50% of finding them again. Um, I thought back, um, since the since the 19 season through this year in 19 i found that really big buck in the summer you can go watch that film hunting big mule deer when jordan filmed with me and ryan pimentail i never found that buck again put an embarrassingly amount of days on him and but in 21 that buck i wounded i found him again i found him twice um and uh, didn't get him killed but that's another story and then in 22 um i found that that big buck i'm losing track of all my bucks here and then i never turned him over again even with multiple days um in the area um and we didn't we didn't get to do a film on that in fact people probably don't even know about that buck i, I didn't have a podcast then i didn't do any articles on him but found a really good buck in the high country in july and again spent way too many days on him like 11 and he never turned up i don't know what happened and there was hardly any hunting pressure there either um and then uh, then this year the buck I just told you about, you know, so I find them again about half the time. Uh, but it, it proved to me again that if I'm going to find them, they're usually, it, they're back in their core area. Um, I will concede to the people that say they wander and leave and they go to farther areas, further away. That, that must, maybe they do. Uh, I always hold out a little, little bit of, yeah, but they, remember if it's a good area, they could just hide in that square mile and you not find them. That's what Kurt Darner always says. They don't leave, they just hide. Uh, but anyways, it doesn't matter. When I do find them, they're back in their core area. When I when they're out of the core area, I just can't find them. So maybe there's a golden nugget there for you somewhere, guys. But if not, let's roll into this next part of the podcast. And I know there's going to be a golden nugget here for you. Uh, here we go with a 192 net Boone and Crockett. Onyx Hunt is the number one GPS hunting app in the industry. And one reason they're leading is because they're continually providing updates to the Onyx Hunt app. 
updates like the new Onyx in-dash navigation suite. From the time you slide into the seat of your vehicle, viewing Onyx Hunt with CarPlay and Android Auto allows you to easily flow from Onyx to the road in front of you, ensuring you know exactly where you are and how to get where you're heading. Want directions to a certain point in the Onyx Hunt app, but don't want to keep glancing at your phone? Use the Navigate To feature to navigate to your saved waypoints. This is true off-road navigation for hunters. You can now use the Onyx Hunt app hands-free and have access to your map markups, public-private boundaries, routing, offline maps, and more. Do it all from the seat of your truck. If you're ready to make the jump, save 20% by using the code ROCKCAST at checkout. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Rockcast. It's early October. We're talking buck hunting here. I've kind of learned one thing over the last 30 years being a big buck hunter. Big buck hunters gravitate to one another. I don't know if it's because we're trying to steal each other's secrets or what, but uh, it, it, if there's two big buck hunters in a room, they end up talking to each other. And that is exactly how I met today's guests. Over 15 years ago, we were working out at the same gym and just got talking mule deer and became better and better friends and before you know it we hunted together and um, I've just watched this guy get better and better at buck hunting over the years and I thought he would be a great guest to have on the podcast. He's taken four bucks that gross over 190 inches to over 200 and one of those bucks made net Boone and Crockett typical hence the title of the podcast 192 net. All-time Boone and Crockett bucks are rare air only a few get taken around here each year, and some years, none. And today's guest also submitted a story from my book last year, Hunting Big Mule Deer, The Stories. If you want to read that story, it's called The Offhand Buck. It's written by today's guest, my friend, Corey Dixon. Hey, buddy. Hey, Robbie. Gosh, it only took us like two months to get this thing put together. Yeah, busy schedules. Here We're we are. Scouting. You're a farmer. I am. I do agricultural research. Mm -hmm. And so um, ag companies will contract out to me to conduct field trials uh, to test different pesticides, fertilizers, varieties, different traits. So I do small plot research trials in the field. And really, I just provide them with the, the data. And um, so it's more of a consulting um, business than it is actually farming. Although... Part of the reasons I started this company was just to uh, get back to the family farm where I grew up on mm -hmm. and put a little different twist on it. And so I'm around my brother, my dad every day, and it's kind of still a, a family operation. Cool, man. So even though he does all that researchy stuff, he still has a great farmer's town. I see it all the time. <laughs> in fact, I see him a lot in the winter. And then in the kind of early summer, he just disappears. You don't even see him. And then he'll come drifting back into the gym here, I don't know, a little bit in August, it seems like. And then you're gone again. Yeah. But it seems like your job is set up so that you're able to hunt kind of mid-September on is where you spend most of your time in the field. It is. Uh, it's, the work is definitely seasonal. Um, I got a good team that helps me out. So I can get away quite a few days in the summer to scout, July and August. September's... Uh, they're a little busy with harvest. Mm -hmm. So my bow hunting um, has taken a backseat a little bit. I just mm -hmm. can't break out, you know, a seven-day hunt during right. bow season. Um, but once the end of September rolls around, I have a lot more time freed up in October and November. So I've just, over the last few years, I've just kind of pushed my hunting a little bit later than I used to and target more like that October, November, December 
time frame for my hunts. Awesome. So um, it seems like uh, thinking back to your story in my book that I just mentioned, uh, the offhand buck, um, you found that buck just on a quick scouting trip. Yep. Right? Yep. If I remember right, it was, it was mid-August. Yeah, mid-August. Um, you just went up for the afternoon, had, 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 a, had a little break, and had to be back to work the next day, and you found that buck. And it seems like you just really maximize your time in the summer. Like, if you've got an, an evening, you go. If you've got a, a, an overnighter you can do, you go, and you're back the next day. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, that's right. I, um, you know, I'm pretty uh, spur of the moment on my scouting trips. When I have right. time... Um, off, I just take off and go. Uh, I live relatively close to the areas that I scout so I can kind of watch the weather. I love to hunt around, um, or love to scout around like afternoon thunderstorms when you might get that cooling, you know, at night. Um, so I'm always looking for different weather patterns just to increase my odds of, you know, scouting up a buck. And the offhand buck, didn't he come out after a thunderstorm? If I remember that right. He did. I was hiking in Mm -hmm. on, uh, it was, you know, ice pellets, hail, Mm -hmm. rain. Um, the temp- it was the first real cold snap we had that summer. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, sure enough, I got up to my spot and at about four thirty, five o'clock in the evening, he stood up and, and started feeding, uh, for maybe about 20 minutes. And then, uh, he bedded back down until dark, but I was just there at the right time just to the catch right him. Time. Exactly. And, um, you I saw, saw him then and you saw him the day you killed him, right? Exactly. No and there were about between. 10 days there I was looking for him. <laughs> I, know, I remember. In the end of August, <laughs> yep. September, uh, in October, you know, I was packing in gear, scouting, just, you know, getting ready for him because I mm-hmm. didn't have any other buck to hunt. Yeah, like it always is around here. And um, sure enough, um, the the day before the opener was cold, rainy, a little bit of yep, snow. we got a lot of snow. And the morning was just perfect conditions, kind of dark, gloomy, and he was right there. He was, dude. Yep, wow, right there amazing. the whole time. Just amazing. Um, so for uh, anybody that uh, wants to read about that story, it's in my second book, Hunting Big Mule Deer. The story is called The Offhand Buck. Go check that out. But that's not actually the buck that we're going to talk about today. The buck we're going to talk about today is the one that Corey took last year, so the 2022 season. And uh, he, he did a heck of a job. I remember when he drew the tag back in June. It was a draw tag buck. And um, he started right away on it and then just like even though we work out at the same gym we you know we still go weeks without seeing each other but he hit me with a text let me know what he was seeing and uh but but we're going to jump into that day from the beginning to the end we've already we've already spoiled the ending you know you know by the name of the podcast 192 net that this this buck got taken but there's quite a story behind it and uh to me it just characterizes kind of really what it takes to get big bucks these days so Corey, let's start with uh with your draw hunt strategy um you and i have even applied together before we've done a hunt together before and seems like every year you're a little bit like me like it's we're not just applying for the same units every year and the same hunts you know we're just looking at the conditions and our schedules and i can do this this year um you know the the hunt we went on was a muzzleloader hunt that that was good dates that year idaho winter kill was really bad that year it was a good time Mm -hmm. to get out of some of the units that we have been in so tell us what you were thinking going into the 2022 uh i guess draw season yeah, so my strategy in the past has always been just to extend my hunting season and not necessarily put in for these hard-to-draw hunts. Um, you know, right. you maybe get a hunt of one every 20 years or it depends on lucky. how lucky you are. Um, so I, I'd apply for these, you know, either either sex hunts or 
some late season muzzleloader hunts and in, in units that aren't typically known for for big mule deer but just to extend my season and then i could always pick up uh an extra non-resident mule deer tag Mm -hmm. so i could still hunt the general and scout that but my strategy was always just to extend my hunting Mm -hmm. and a lot of those uh hunts just went away um yep so they weren't offered anymore so i was just kind of left in the dark my strategy no longer was valid and so i just picked a unit never stepped foot in it Mm -hmm. Um, I'd always heard about it and I just put my name in the hat and, and got lucky and drew it on the first time. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I don't know if you were thinking this last year, but it's kind of what we were thinking in 2019 when we hunted together is, you know, when you live around winter kill units, it's, it's boom and bust. I mean, it's some years, it's just terrible like this year, you know, and then other years it's, it's better. And, and so it's not uncommon for guys like us to, to be jumping all over the place, you know, hunt one part of the state one year, one part of the state the next year, just depending on what's going on. So it sounds like that was a little bit of what you did. Too. It is, and I still struggle doing that today. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a creature of habit. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to stick to the same three or four units mm-hmm. in, for my scouting mainly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if those aren't turning up the, you know, the quality of deer, the deer numbers, then you have to be flexible and, and look at going elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So, so it's something I still struggle with, you know, breaking, breaking the habits and, and trying mm-hmm. new areas. So this was kind of a, probably a more of a jump for me to, to do. I felt pretty uncomfortable leading into that hunt, a lot of anxiety and, mm-hmm. and nerves, you know, not not knowing the unit well, like I know others, but it was a long season and you, you were, I remember, I remember talking to you, you were committed to learning it and you know, whatever it took, whatever it took. Cause you know, you can't always apply for units that, you know, I mean, it's, it's just not practical. I mean, it's, it's wise, but just like this year, I mean, to apply in Southeast Idaho, man, I, I'm not sure I could have talked to anybody into doing that. It was just, I mean, and look what we're seeing. I mean, the bucks, we're seeing half the number of bucks that we usually do. And the, the upper age classes, I don't want to say it's non-existent, but man, <laughs> it's slim pickings. It is and tough so, out there. So I thought you were smart, you know, mixing it up a little bit. So so you drew, or you put in, and then you then you found out you drew, and where did we go from there? Well, I did what every hunter does when he draws a tag in a new unit. I, I jumped to the internet. Mm-hmm. Just, rock slide. Just rock slide, <laughs> searching forums, just, you know, typing in the unit code. Mm-hmm. Just a real high level. And I wasn't putting much weight in it, but I just had a notepad, and I was just, you know, just penciling out creek drainages Mm -hmm. mountains and just i really started from there and then went to google earth and um i i stumbled across a really good publication um i can't remember exactly who who made it but it was a it was a west-wide study Mm -hmm. and it studied um major deer herd migrations Mm -hmm. actually it wasn't just deer it was ungulates Mm -hmm. it it included elk and pronghorn Mm um but it studied unique migration patterns, whether that's long distances or unique timing, like the Ponds Gauntlet's one, mm-hmm. where they kind of have a unique uh, migration habit. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, this herd that I was hunting was included in that study. Mm-hmm. Because, and we're talking about deer that it, it doesn't take three feet of snow to move them. It takes a date on the calendar. Exactly. Right? Okay. Or some other unknown reason that mm-hmm. we really don't know. And so this study included... Um, I think the, if I remember right, they, they had about 50 does collared mm-hmm. and I don't know if these collars were following off and they were recoloring new, mm-hmm. new deer each year. Mm-hmm. They didn't really go into that level of detail, 
but it was around 50 collared deer and it tracked their migration when it began where their stopover areas were like you know if they um stayed for a week or two Mm -hmm. and then when their end migration was they also had like a mean migration when on average when does that deer herd migrate Mm -hmm. and so at the time you know it was interesting i read it they had maps um but i didn't really know how that would come into play Mm -hmm. um until i learned more about the unit Gotcha. So um, the last couple uh, episodes uh, since August, I've had a few on here talking about big picture research and small picture research. So for those of you that got those episodes, uh, you're you're seeing he's thinking the same way. His big picture stuff was just basically the unit. And that's where most guys get stuck. They stop there and then they just go to the unit and expect the reputation of the unit to pay off. And that just doesn't work. It's not worked in 25 years in my book. But then he moved into the small picture, uh, even though he was just looking at you know, public databases, he was, you heard it, nailing it down the, the, the drainages, the, the, the mountainsides, all that type of stuff. That's, that's small picture stuff. And to me, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. Cause gosh, it's just so easy to dream about hunting a unit and then you get there and it's just massive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost discouraging, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like so fun to draw, but then you get there and like, man, where do I start? And, and you had all that stuff worked out before you started scouting. Well, I jumped into it pretty quick. If I remember right, the draw results were posted late, late last year in Idaho. Yeah, um, it was. We were if, end of June. Yeah, June almost 28th. July. Yeah. Um, so it was funny. One of my employees walked in a, a day or two after I drew, and I was glued to the computer. I couldn't focus on work or anything. And he's <laughs> like, "Hey, man, are, are you going to come out and help us work? Or are you uh-huh. going to sit there on your computer all day?" <laughs> And I was like, you know, man, you're right. I got to get out of here. And so it was about a day later I took off for my first scouting trip into mm-hmm. the unit. And it was, mm-hmm. I think it was July 1st, 2nd, right around there. It was a three-day mm-hmm. stint was this mm-hmm. first scouting trip. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I split it up. But the first day and a half, I just drove a lot of roads, just laid eyes on the unit um, with that that migration map, kind of, you know, seeing where these deer may migrate to vantage points where I can get into place and spent more time in the low country. Mm-hmm. This unit had a good mix of just beautiful low country deer habitat, mm-hmm. sagebrush, bitterbrush, aspen, coulee type, rolly hills. And then it also had the typical high alpine kind of your higher above open, timberline above timberline. Mm-hmm. And so the first day and a half I spent in the, in the low country and there was a lot of deer down in the low country. And uh, I think on this first scouting trip, I saw 16 bucks in the low country. Mm-hmm. And so that caught my attention quick, that I can't just focus in the high country, that there's there's deer down here in the low country. And um, and then the second half of my trip, I backpacked into a more of your typical high country uh, scouting trip just to see what the deer numbers were like up there. Mm-hmm. And so I split it up that you know, that way on my first trip. Mm-hmm. And when I went into the high country that night, that first night I backpacked in, um, the deer densities were definitely lower from what I could tell. In the high country. In the high country. But the first little bachelor herd I saw had a really good buck in it. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like a typical four-point frame, probably pushing 30 inches wide in that 28 to 30-inch range, mm-hmm. big back forks, and his right main beam went out like normal and then it dropped straight down mm-hmm. almost like a drop time it was still mm-hmm. his main beam antler but it dropped straight down to the ground mm-hmm. 
And, um, you know, I was just on cloud nine after that first scouting trip, seeing 16 bucks in low country, hike up to the high country, you know, and turn up a great buck. Uh, my expectations were pretty high at that point. And this was early July. It was, yeah, it was right on July 1st, 2nd, 3rd. Gotcha. I think it was right So he's right already there. that big yep. in that time. And last year was so hot. Yeah. And this one buck, um, a lot of the deer I was seeing during that trip were still balled up. They still had a lot of antler growth mm -hmm. to go. This deer was pretty finished off by early July. I was surprised that um, I didn't think he had a lot of growth left in him. He looked like you know, a deer I think I remember the picture done. of him mm -hmm. um, uh, with the turn down main beam. Um, and, uh, okay, so that was early July. Uh, but then you just kept rolling. Because I remember about once a week we'd talk or I'd get a text or something. How many trips did you make? So driving home that, that first trip, I made a pact with myself that I would scout at a minimum two mornings and one night every week mm -hmm. until the season began. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what I did. And I'd rotate a low country scouting trip one week and then mm -hmm. go into the high country the next mm -hmm. week. And yep. I just went back and forth, back and forth. Mm -hmm. And, um, I know total, I think I scouted 23, 24 days throughout mm -hmm. the summer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that first buck that you turned over. What did you find after that? I'm trying to remember what you told me. Was, was he the, better, the best buck you had seen that summer, or did you find another one? I found another one, but he was, he was definitely a step up. I was turning up quite a few bucks each scouting trip, but mm -hmm. just very average deer. Um, the quality didn't appear to be much higher than, than any other general season unit mm -hmm. in Idaho. They were just, just, just bucks. Right. Gotcha. Which is sometimes like, discouraging on a draw hunt you know a guy waits and waits and waits and and then he gets a draw hunt and this has happened to me and i'm like they're better uh, typically the the hunter densities are lower and it allows you to just hunt but it doesn't just mean there's great big bucks everywhere you still got to go dig them out mm -hmm. and you know all things being equal i'd rather have a draw hunt every year than a otc hunt but what i've kind of learned from them is that i don't want to just poo poo the otc hunts because there's a lot of advantages in those too yeah. Yeah. I remember thinking, um, you know, I had that first real high off the first trip, you know, yep. and then things just leveled off. It got tough. Um, and I was like, am I really better off here in this, you know, coveted tag mm -hmm. area mm -hmm. than I would be in the units that I know really well. Yeah. Cause well. you're coming off of killing a 200 incher the year before on just a regular old unit. Exactly. I, I remember having this conversation with you. It was killing we me. We were talking, you know, I, I didn't, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do. And sure enough, you know, I ended up buying a non-resident mule deer yep, tag just right. so I had another option in my back pocket when I had a great controlled hunt opportunity in front of me. So Right, it's but you were pouring yourself into that hunt. It's not like you were just jumping around. Because I remember every time I talked to you, you'd been back over there. And this is not close to where you live. This is, this is a commitment for him to go scout this. But anyways. Yeah, it was a big commitment. And um, so it was about my fifth weekend of scouting or so we're getting into august early right? august mm -hmm. yep and it was on one of my lower country scouting trips mm -hmm. i turned up a really good buck mm -hmm. and um he was not remote pretty in you know a high visibility area um but just an awesome buck his mm -hmm. he maybe i figured he had about a 25 inch frame so not not a huge frame mm -hmm. but a lot of extras uh, a couple in lines and he was just a stud. 
and he had a good score in typical frame, if I remember right. Right? Am I, am I thinking right? Good forks and all that stuff. Yep, around. good he deep was forks. Built well. yep, yeah, built really well. The inside spread was probably a little weak on him, and that was about mm-hmm. his only you mm-hmm. know thing he didn't have going for him. Mm-hmm. But um, and so you found him early August, right? Right, mid August, right around. In it was there. that first week. In so August. you have two shooters now. On your list. Yep. Gotcha. Are you still screwing around with all these OTC units and checking <laughs> them too? No, at that point, you know, I was, all along I was committed to this hunt. Okay. But, you know, I just had a, a moment of doubt there. Yeah, and I right, pulled the right. trigger. Right. <laughs> so, no, once I saw that buck, um, you know, in my mind at the time, that was going to be, that was my target buck. And mm-hmm. I was going to put all my eggs into that basket. And, mm-hmm. and when I do find a big buck, I just focus everything I have on there. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, my, I'm not going to scout other areas. I'm just going to, I'm all in on that one deer. Yep. yep. Awesome, man. Awesome. Uh, so the, I, I remember when you found that buck and then uh, you were not hunting the archery season, couldn't hunt the archery season. And you were really nervous. Someone was going to get that buck. Yeah. So tell us what you did. Yeah. That was always in the back of my mind. It was probably too good to be true that nobody else knew he was there. And, um, so there was an early archery hunt about to open. And so my next scouting trip, I positioned it to where I'd be there on the opener. Mm-hmm. Just night to make before? sure. Night I got there the night before. Night before, okay, I remember. And yeah. I was going to do three days there. Mm-hmm. Three days with and not even hunting, just scoping out this buck to see if he gets, if he makes it. Exactly. That's commitment. So I, I on, on that morning, I went to a lookout point that was about three miles from where I saw that deer. I didn't want to get right in there, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to be far enough away. I could still scout and look around for other bucks, Mm -hmm. but I could keep my eye on where that buck was living. See if anybody was over there, how much pressure, stuff like that. And sure enough, um, right at first light, I had my spotting scope on it, and there was a hunter right on top in camo, not walking around. He had intent, and Mm -hmm. he was... I don't think he was stalking the deer at that point, but you could tell. Could you see the deer? No, I gotcha. can. I but can you never just see the tell deer. this dude is in this spot and he's staying there. This mm-hmm. is not good. It was not good. No, my heart sank after that. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of watched the angle, of the hillside from where I was at. I, I couldn't see exactly, you know, where the deer was. I I lost sight of the hunter, and um, I ended up just moving on at that mm-hmm. point. Mid morning, I left. Mm-hmm. And I went to another spot, but I was still about five miles away from mm-hmm. from where the buck lived, and I saw the hunter. So I could still keep eyes on it. It was just a little mm-hmm. bit further away. Mm-hmm. And um, didn't see the hunter, didn't, didn't see any deer over there. But at dark, when I was hiking out, there was a, a side-by-side or an ATV with lights on mm-hmm. going up a road that was very close to where that deer was. Mm-hmm. And so I figured, in my mind, he you know, probably shot the deer mm-hmm. and they were either retrieving it. I just didn't, it just didn't make sense why they'd be, be driving that close to that core area of where the, that gotcha. buck was living. Right. Anybody with half a brain is not going to drive their UTV down into a, a bucky area like that unless they've got something. Yep. So I, I figured that he was probably, probably got killed or, or something mm-hmm. happened at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. So what did you do next? Well, um, I do have a couple close buddies that I, I sent pictures uh, that I took of this buck during scouting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's such a small world. Yep. Within a day or two, 
I saw a field photo of, of, of the hunter buck. in that buck. I remember you called me. Yeah, and so that was just confirmation on, yeah. on what you I was. You kind of knew happened. that somebody somebody was in there. They probably got him, and then sure enough, there he was. And uh, I I think you showed me the picture too. Was it on social media? I can't remember. Uh, I don't do social media, Robbie. That's right. That's <laughs> right. So so it couldn't have been on there. It was just through through, it, your, through your network. I was getting texts of people that are on social media, yeah. and it was it was posted. I think to. Yeah. To the world at that point. Just a heartbreaker, man. Yeah. I remember just a heartbreaker because in my mind, and I'm probably just naive, I never think that someone got the other buck. Like I never think that, but it happens. It's happened to me twice, <laughs> but I always think, nah, nah, they, they're another, they just get away and everything. But the reality is, I mean, there's, there's some good hunters out there and there's some lucky hunters is, is mm-hmm. really what it gets down to. If there's enough people out there, they're not safe. And man, is it, it just, it, I, that's probably why I'm naive about it. I just don't want to be so nervous that somebody got it, but you were smart. You, you, you went, you confirmed people were hunting in the area. You had a network of people going that would share that with you. And sure enough, you found out somebody got the buck. Yeah. And my hat's off to him. He, he did it right too. Mm-hmm. He just had the head start on me. Yep. And, um, yeah, this buck was actually, um, posted in Eastman's bow hunting magazine. Mm-hmm. I believe there's mm-hmm. a story about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get Eastman's, but, uh, one of the same friends, uh, texted me a picture. So, yeah. So and maybe that's why I thought it was on social media. Maybe you sent me that picture. I can't remember, but I, I think I, just, I did. I yeah. sent you the cover story photo. Yeah, it was, of cu- that it was buck. on. It was on the cover. Yeah, but yeah. great buck. Good job to that hunter. Yeah, he did it right. He did it. That's right. And in the end, it turned out to be a, a good thing for me. Right. Because we're going to move on here. I would have probably wasted twenty days mm-hmm. s- waiting and hunting for that you know mm-hmm. opportunity to see that buck, yep. and right. he was dead. Yep. And so a lot of my hunt would have just going yep. towards yep. that. You'd have, you'd, have, you'd have spent all that time, turned over all his buddies, which always gives you hope that he's still there. And then you just keep burning days and burning days yep, exactly. and he's gone. So anyways, but hats off to you on that for uh, putting that effort in to know what was going on. So what happened next? Well, I just kept scouting mm-hmm. and um, I think um, not, no, no other bucks really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. just much of the same so are we getting into september now just getting into september so the deer are turning gray they're shedding their velvet and you know like bucks do they just get harder to turn up mm-hmm. and my my numbers went way down and i was just kind of in a, a grind at that point mm-hmm. didn't have any real plans for the hunting season that was approaching mm-hmm. um i was just still in scouting mode mm-hmm. but but it got tough um and then uh, a few more weeks passed, and my schedule is really freeing up now with work. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, I just realized the chances of me scouting up a buck at this point is is pretty low. Mm-hmm. Their their habits have just changed, and they're just so hard to turn up this time of year. Yeah, now you got like 20, 25 days in the unit by now, right? Yeah, probably more than that at this point. Right. Yep. You got you got to be thinking at some point. Just like that's what I'd be thinking too. Is my chances of seeing one now that I haven't seen has got to be getting pretty low. Yep. And there were some elk hunts opening up. Um, there's there's just a lot more human activity around, mm-hmm. and Which always messes. Yeah, you it up. you just get that feeling that I mean the odds are against you in trying to turn up a new buck at this point. Sure. And, and you know, archery season just closed last week and I saw the same thing happen and there was nobody, hardly anybody hunting 
where I was during archery season. Um, but yet the buck sightings just go way down. So even without that human presence, you know, I was the only guy there that I know of, um, at least on the days that I hunted, even without that human presence, they just get harder to find. You know, they're just not out as long. They're, 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 they're spending their time in the cover. The bucks I did find were, man, you better, you better be out at sunrise because by half an hour after sunrise, your sight ability goes down 90%, literally 90%. Yep. And then you got, you know, th- three 20 minute windows during the day that they're going to be on their feet and you better be looking right in the right canyon or draw. I mean, it's just that your productivity goes down so much. So I'm, I'm with you. So you were feeling all that by now. Rifles about to open. Rifles about to open. Yep. Okay. Got you. So archery's, archery's closed and rifles about to open, but you're kind of tapping out on the scouting saying, I'm I'm probably not going to see any new bucks here. I'm just going to hit the opener. And which buck did you go after? Well, so back to that ungulate migration study, Mm -hmm. um, the dates of when they started and ended was during my hunt. Mm-hmm. So there was good probability that, that, that there was going to be a migration, you know, through those corridors at some point in my hunt. Mm-hmm. And um, I just didn't want that to pass me by. I mm-hmm. didn't have really any other areas I wanted to scout it or was excited about spending time in. So I just put everything I had into hoping to catch that migration. So what about the high country buck that you found on the opener? Uh, excuse me, what, right, not, not the opener, but when you, you first started scouting early. What about him? Did you go back and check on him? I never went back and checked. Uh, I was in the vicinity one other trip, mm-hmm. um, but I'd, I'd moved on from him at you that point. You had just decided you could do better than even, even him, even though he was mm-hmm. pushing 30 on the first week of July. He's just like, man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go look for another one. He was always in the back of my mind, but I just, you know, after seeing that buck that, that got killed by the archery hunter, yep. I, I just felt like I you could, could find something. Yeah, dude, you, yeah, yeah, you got it. And you, I didn't you, want my hunt to end. I sure. really didn't want it to mm-hmm. end. So mm-hmm. I was at that point willing to eat my tag mm-hmm. and roll the dice and experience this this great migration mm-hmm. that was potentially going to occur and and just go that route. Awesome. Uh, so r- did you even hunt the opener when rifle came? I did. Um, I spent five days mm-hmm. uh, at the opener, and I was still in scouting mode at that point, right. really. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one hike I went on. I didn't even bring my gun. Mm-hmm. I was just wanted to carry my good optics, and mm-hmm. and I was still in scouting mode at the opener. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it was, it was that next hunt after that, I came back home for a couple of days and that next hunt after that's when I focused on, mm-hmm. on more of the migrating deer herd and those corridors. Okay. So this deer herd will migrate without weather, right? They do. So, yep. so you're just looking at, at your research, you're in the migration study. You're saying, Hey, by these dates, these deer are usually moving. Um, we did, did, did it have anything to do with the full moon? We had a full moon October 9th last year. Did it have anything to do with that? So there was a migration trickle occurring in, in early October. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, so rifles open now, migration trickle. Last fall, October was, was really pretty warm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was very hot. warm. Yeah. Dude. Very warm. It was tough hunting conditions. And um, when I started focusing on the migration, um, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know what to expect because uh, in the past – 
I find in migration deer that it was very weather dependent. They're mm-hmm. getting out of the country due mm-hmm. to snow, mm-hmm. snow depths, and or a, a rut, mm-hmm. you know, occurring. Mm-hmm. And usually it was the doe fawns, you know, they're migrating out of the country and the, and the bucks are following them um, pre-rut or rut. And that was my experience in the past. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what to expect with this migration because it was not rut uh, oriented. It was not due to snow, but there's some... You know, it was more of a calendar date driven than anything. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So what were you seeing? So um, I wasn't seeing much. So I started, there was was three to four roads. There was maybe, I don't know, linear distance of five miles, if I put them all together, that that went through their migration corridors. Mm Mm-hmm. And I actually started sweeping the roads. Mm-hmm. I remember this. I must have brush behind. I must have looked like the biggest mm-hmm. idiot out mm-hmm. there. Um, there was nobody around until I tie a log to the back of my truck and yep. start driving and down the road. And sure enough, there'd yep. be people yeah, showing like, up. What's this guy doing, man? Is he getting firewood? So <laughs> <laughs> first, I took one of my motorcycle ramps and I was dragging it behind my truck, and it was hooking every rock in the road and mm-hmm. breaking straps. So I, I stopped doing that. I found a piece of sagebrush. Mm-hmm. tied that to my truck hoping to, to sweep that way that didn't really work either so what i ended up doing is is driving as far over on one side of the road on the shoulder as i could mm-hmm. and then going back the opposite direction and hitting the other mm-hmm. shoulder on the road dragging a log just perpendicular to the road is that how you would do pretty, it pretty i couldn't cover up the whole road right in case sure. somebody People was coming around pass, yeah but you know, a jogger it was, it was like a two to three <laughs> foot log uh-huh Gotcha. Um, but really that was just, that was not working. That was, uh-huh. it just, but so, so for those of you that are, that are not, not following here, he's just brushing out the road and then coming back and looking for tracks. So when you say it wasn't working, do you mean you, it, like you'd brush it out and there'd be no tracks or you just couldn't do a good job brushing it out? I just couldn't do a good job sweeping the road and gotcha. clearing tracks. Gotcha. Yep. And, and cars would drive up and down it, um, you know, throughout the day. And so really focusing on the shoulder of the road mm-hmm. is where I could, Right, it would I be got a step on the shoulder of the road. To, yeah, mm-hmm. gotcha. So I'd still hit my vantage points that I I scouted up where I could get a good 360 degree view mm-hmm. of you know the area. Mm-hmm. I'd hit those morning and nights, and then in the middle of the day, I'd I'd go sweep roads and and or look for tracks at the same time. Mm-hmm. What were you finding? It was a slow trickle that they were definitely migrating. All the deer um, tracks were you know pointing in one direction. Mm-hmm. And at first, I was estimating maybe 20 to 50 deer mm-hmm. were crossing. And in the mornings and nights, I was, I was seeing hardly anything. So in my opinion, it was, a str- it was strictly nocturnal. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a nocturnal migration. Mm-hmm. And I think the country was, was not steep, not rugged. It's kind of rolly hills. And I think they were blowing through that country, you know, probably walk in five ten miles an hour and i think they were just blowing through that country in a night the rock cast is also powered by magview gear step up your digiscoping game with the most streamlined digiscoping adapter in the industry magview pioneered a new era of digiscoping with its universal minimalistic spotting scope and binocular adapters the system is designed to eliminate the frustrations and inconveniences found in traditional digiscoping systems MagView's multifunctional system consists of three interchangeable designs, the S1 spotting scope adapter, the B1 binocular adapter, and the MagView phone plate. All MagView systems create an incredibly strong, stable digiscoping platform, 
and only require a super thin stainless steel plate adhered to the phone to secure it to the optic. No more bulky phone cases, no more optic specific adapters. MagView is the digiscoping choice for minimalist hunters looking for one adapter to fit most in-class optics. Many Rockslide members and staff have chosen the MagView system. You can see our in-depth review at rockslide.com and the Rockslide YouTube channel. To discover more about MagView gear, visit magviewgear.com for full specification, installation videos, and tips and tricks. Start capturing your own MagView moments today. So in the mornings, you'd be out there at daylight. It's not like you're seeing, hey, there's three bucks over there migrating. There's two over there. There's a herd of does and fawns. wasn't like that. No, I, I don't remember seeing any migration at this point in time. It's all tracks. All it's tracks. All on the ground. I would still see deer, you know, feeding in the mornings, and maybe they're resident deer. I, I was still seeing some deer, mm -hmm. but no sign of But if you weren't migrating. paying attention to the nth degree like you were, you would not be catching what was going on. Mm -mm. Awesome, man. That is, no. that is so cool. Okay, what, what's next? So I kept doing this, and... Um, I, uh, you know, so at that point, I knew the migration was starting. I didn't know if this was the, the migration or if it was a trickle. And so I started getting a little more impatient. So I started doing the same strategy, glassing on my vantage points morning, night, sweeping roads, looking for tracks. And then I started doing basically one-man deer drives. Mm -hmm. And in this country where maybe a buck was migrating at night, sun was coming up in a, a spot that I thought could maybe just hold hold a deer before they were blow, blowing through it. Mm -hmm. And so I would just, it wasn't really steel hunting. I was just hiking through, pushing brushes, kind of sloppily, you know, going through the country, trying to just push deer because I, at this point, I didn't think I had anything to lose because if they were there one day, they were gone the next. Right. So it's not like I was really blowing up the country and, and impacting my, uh, mm -hmm. my hunt. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, um, we're getting into like 35, 40 days in the unit now, right? Am I, am I doing the math? No, right you're here? right. Yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. you were it was, it was a grind. You were living there all the time. So, uh, okay. What's next? So, yeah. Well, doing, doing these one man deer drives, uh, one day, it was in the middle of the day. It was a windy, like gusty day, hot. I, I crest this ridge and a buck jumped out right in front of me. And I think he smelled me. The wind must have been swirled. Cause I don't think he know, knew where I was because he jumped out right in front of me, about 20 yards in front of me. Big buck, wide, 28 to 30 inches wide, good backs. And at that point, I'm just staring at him with my eyes. And I, I put a shell in my gun. And he, then he disappeared. He, he ran around this pile of rocks and, and dropped down to where I couldn't see him. So immediately, I run up to that, that rock outcropping. He ran around. And sat down to where I could study my binoculars and field judge them up a little more. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, you know, 28 to 30 inches wide, his right main beam went out and dropped straight down to the ground. Mm -hmm. And I bet a thousand bucks. That is that same buck that I saw on my first scouting in the, trip. In the high country. How far from point to point? Yeah, so I measured it later um, that afternoon. And as a crow flies point to point, it was 30 miles. Wow. And you know what? I just happen to know, you know this too, some guys that live in the area and they have documented the same thing. Um, exact bucks. And they got pictures of them. They know what they look like. 
This buck was here on September 9th and September 14th, he was right here. And those kind of distances, 20, 30, 40 miles. It's it just amazing yep. that, that they move like that. Because you, you and I both born and raised in Idaho. It's not like that in a lot of places here, is it? No, not no, at all. Those it, bucks move five miles their whole life. Yep. You know, it, it's just amazing. Yeah. So, so that's pretty cool if that, if that was him. It was cool. I mean, I believe it in my heart it was him. It, 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 there could have been another buck like that. But sure, um, sure. Did you have a chance to shoot him? Did you pass him? I'd pa- I passed him. You passed him. him. So you you I, let him go. So he started kind of walking about three, 400 yards away. And then I just put my spotting scope on him and got some, some video footage of him. Yeah, and I think you sent me a still shot of him. And uh, he was a good buck. I remember thinking, man, that'd be a hard one to pass. Because we're getting a little bit later in the season now. Like, you don't have a ton of days left, right? No, it was, I mean, I was, I, I had a handful of trips left. Yeah, just a few, a few left. And I remember thinking, hey, well, that's how you get a big one. So, um, and I, if I remember right, when you sent that to me, you said all the deer are headed the direction he's headed. Like, all the tracks are going that way. Mm-hmm. You know, in this huge, huge area, that's what you had surmised, that the migration's on, even if I'm hardly witnessing it. It's on. So you're really paying attention to details. Yep. Yep. And, uh, I mean, I was pretty disgusted with myself after that buck. I was... For passing him? For passing him afterwards. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was hunting for. Mm-hmm. You know, because here it is, a great buck. Yeah. Um, so I, I just was confused on what I was doing there mm-hmm. and what I was really looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, what my goal was. Mm-hmm. Besides not wanting the hunt to end. Mm-hmm. But... It reaffirmed that my strategy, the process I was doing every single day, was worthwhile. It was working. Yeah, yep. it was working. Yep. You bet. And is it heating it up at all? Is it picking up at all as far as action? Are you seeing more deer at all? Or is it just this Still a slow trickle. Wow. So a lot of people just wouldn't even have caught on to that. Yep. You know? So. Yep. Yeah, so um, it was that same hunt I was on. My wife's birthday was coming up. Mm-hmm. And I'd been gone a lot. And uh, I needed to go home. Spend yep. time with the family. Yeah, and for our listeners, you've got two children? Yeah, I have okay. two two yep. girls. One's yep. 11, one's 14. Yep, so he's he's a busy dad. All, that's why it took so long to record this podcast. Between him and I, we always got something going on with kids. I got soccer tonight, you know. I mean, we got all that kind of stuff. So you're living that life, too. Even though you were a hunting bum last year, you know, you're, you still got to keep your life up and everything. So you're pushing 35, 40 days in the unit. It's coming to an end. Yep, so I, I head home the night before my wife's birthday. We... And right then we get our first cold snap of the fall. Basically, mm-hmm. there's there's a snowstorm projected for the map, for the high country. It wasn't a huge snowstorm dump, but mm-hmm. there was they were expecting a couple inches, you know, at maybe seven thousand feet, and then more than that, you know, up in the high country. And so I I was driving through that storm as I was heading home, mm-hmm. and uh, spent the day with the family, had a great time, took the wife out to dinner, and. Um, you know, the girls were in bed. It was about 10, 11 o'clock at night. Wife's going to bed. And it's like, what in the morning? And I'm just, I can't get my mind off getting back there. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching the weather. And uh, I think that night I took off at like 2 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And just, I left my camp there. So you so were home less up. than 24 hours. Yeah, pretty mm-hmm. much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I went back and that's when... Uh, the migration trickle went into like a full-on damn breach flood. Mm-hmm. The deer were coming. Mm-hmm. That little cold snap, even though it wasn't enough snow to, you know, interfere with feeding or anything like that, it was just enough to really trigger the, the migration. So prior to this, it had just been this trickle, almost barely perceptible. Now you're seeing deer 
with your own eyes migrating or the tracks are just picking up? Uh, both. Uh, the snow created, you know, muddy road conditions, so yep. I could see tracks that way now. No mm -hmm. need to sweep. And um, it was no longer a, a, a nocturnal migration. Mm -hmm. They were migrating all day long. Any rut activity? I didn't see anything. Mm -hmm. um, gotcha. They were so intermixed. Mm -hmm. There was does, fawns, bucks. Yeah. They, you know, I didn't really see any rut activity gotcha. that I can remember. So they're they're on the move now. You're getting down to, to is this your last trip? This is my last trip. This, this is my last stand. Uh -huh. yep. <laughs> I think I remember those texts. And so, uh, and, and so you've been there like a day now, been back a day, and, and everything has changed. Everything's moving. Yeah, right? that's what you're saying. Okay, yep. take it from there. And the most interesting thing, Robbie, is um, the migrate. These these deer were like migration crazed. Mm -hmm. So there's a few times I've seen rutting bucks where you can just see it in their eyes that they're not thinking straight. Yep. Right? right? They're just mm -hmm. they're just focused on does. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen all the time during the rut, but there's just a few moments when a buck gets like that. That's how these migrating deer were. They were so focused on migrating. It was almost more like the salmon migration mm -hmm. um, where, you know, a fish lives three to four years in the ocean and then they're just headed up some tributary in the center of Idaho and they don't know why, but mm -hmm. they Nothing's were on gonna a stop mission. Them. Nothing's no. going to stop them. Yeah. One morning I was glassing from my truck and there was a group of maybe 25 to 30 deer, does, fawns, and a couple little bucks. And they were coming my way and... I could see this little draw, this little funnel. I figured they were going to where they were going to cross the road in front of me, and I pulled my truck up to where I thought they would cross. And sure enough, about two or three minutes later, they're, they they crest this little knob, and they sit there and stare at me for a second, and then they just keep coming. And I had deer split my truck in the front of the truck, right? behind my truck. Just they were on go. a beeline going. Wow! It was really fascinating to see. Yeah, yeah, you hardly ever get to see anything like that. Maybe the heart of winter when they can hardly move and you're on the road and they want to cross. You know, the rest of the time they just avoid you. Yep, and there, there's the speed they were migrating was pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, fast walk? Fast walk. It's kind of like a horse, you know, you're on a horse going down a trail and he grabs a bite to eat, mm -hmm. you know, as you're going. Yep. They would do that a little bit, stop and nibble, and then they take a few jumps, like a running jump, and, and then they go. trot, but fascinating the amount of country they were covering gotcha but you're not really seeing a bunch of big bucks you're just seeing deer numbers really have increased everything's still headed the same direction headed towards winter range yeah i think i've seen a few hundred deer a day you know maybe wow. 20 to 50 bucks a wow. day but nothing big no quality really mm -hmm. to speak mm -hmm. of nice bucks mm -hmm. but um the only thing i really had going for me is just a numbers game i was just mm -hmm. able to see a lot of deer during mm -hmm. this these few days and i keep forgetting to ask how was hunting pressure are you are you fighting for these deer or are you race to which mountain here or are you pretty much on um, the shots that's a good question obviously i wasn't you know remote so there mm -hmm. were people around there were elk hunters around but i never felt pressured mm -hmm. and some of the deer hunters i talked to i ran into you know their cousin drew it 12 years ago or yeah. something and they weren't really serious hunters mm-hmm um, but there were definitely people around. Gotcha. But they're not messing you up. They're not messing me up. And, and you really couldn't mess up the deer at this mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. There was, I mean, there was no stopping what these, the behaviors that these deer were doing right now with the migration. Fascinating. So, um, yeah. So I think it was two days after things really heated up, um, doing the same routine. And I glass up a pretty good size of, is a bachelor herd of bucks. There were a few does mingling around. 
Um, and one buck stuck out. Um, I figured he was maybe 28 inches wide, uh, like a low 180s buck. Mm -hmm. And I watched him for quite a while. I thought I got a good look at him. And they started calming down. I, a few bedded. How far away? It was it was two point one miles. Gotcha. I had so it on Onyx. Gotcha. I was measuring everything, so they were a long ways away. <laughs> but I thought I I got a pretty good look at them, so I kept moving on. And um, it was about noon that that day. I really had nothing. Um, I didn't have anywhere to go for the night hunt, and um, so I figured I'd just go back, hike in there that day to where I saw the the nice buck, and get a better look at him. And maybe there was a bigger one around. Mm -hmm. So. So it was about a, yeah, it was about two and a half miles hiking through there. And, um, as I was hiking in deer were migrating past me. Wow. They were on the move and this mm -hmm. is three in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I go sneaking in there and I kind of crest this ridge line to where I thought I could set up, be within shooting range of where I last saw the bucks and get a pretty decent vantage point. And immediately I could just turn up bedded bucks in the sagebrush. I could just mm -hmm. see the tops of their heads and, you know, and antlers, but I, I couldn't find the, the buck that I, the big buck that I went in there for. Mm -hmm. And, um, I maybe sat there an hour and sure enough on the opposite spine that I was sitting on this buck, um, crested, crested the ridge. And I believe he's, he was going to start migrating. He was moving mm -hmm. right to me and I had way underestimated him. He so this is the buck you saw earlier in the day. Yeah. So you got in there, you're glassing up his buddies, and boom! All of a sudden, there he is. And you're sure it's the same buck? I think. Well, ninety percent <laughs> sure. Sure, I, I know what you mean. You'd, but you're same never frame, same right. configuration, right. twenty-eight inches wide. I I figured it was the and same. How far buck. is he? He at that time he was about four hundred yards. Got you. So you've gone, you've gone from two miles to four hundred yards, and you're like, wow, I way underestimated this buck. Yeah. The first thing I saw was his eye guards. He had eye guards like a he, white for tail. days, Just for days, insane. And then he had matching stickers mm -hmm. um, off his back fork, and um, just a gorgeous buck. So I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, that buck's not in the one eighties. He's in the one nineties. Mm -hmm. And I already had my gun set up on my pack, and uh, he walked down that spine about another hundred yards mm -hmm. and then he just gave me a perfect broadside shot and so you'd made your mind up this is the buck yeah as soon as you saw him the mm -hmm. second time you're like I'm, I'm gonna take him yeah all right buddy so um to me that's that's pretty awesome i mean that's like that's like 45 days 40 days to to get that shot took him out one shot you're not a long range hunter Right, you're just nope. shooting standard distances like me, and yeah, know. I have hash marks on my scope. Yeah, my max range is I say 550. Mm -hmm. It's kind of my last I hash like mark. Me too. And um, you know, I have a four by 14 power scope, mm -hmm. and so a pretty basic setup. Yep, yep. But you're get you're getting it done. So you shot him at 300. Yeah, the last range was 300. He was maybe 280. Gotcha. Put him down one shot. Yep, got him the first shot. Awesome. So uh, what the other bucks do when you shot him? Um. They just, they, it was kind of thick in there. They just kind of blew down this draw, and I just mm -hmm. lost them. Gotcha. Really. Yeah, gotcha. So you got over there, and we're we're like 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon now, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you're still like full sun in the pictures. Full sun, yeah, gorgeous like, day. Yeah, gorgeous yeah. afternoon, bluebird skies. Yeah. So you, when you walked up to him, ground shrinkage? No. He, he His head was tangled in a piece of sagebrush, and when I pulled it out, he just grew mm -hmm. exponentially, just like he did when I first saw him at 400 yards. 
So oh, just awesome. just an amazing book. Awesome. And so the the way the way podcasts work is we can't show you the picture in the in the screen art, but there will be a link on Rockslide and it'll be on our Instagram page. Um, Corey is not on social media if you haven't caught that yet, but we'll have it on our Instagram page. Go take a look at this buck. And I remember when Corey texted it to me, maybe the same day. I can't remember. I just remember I hadn't heard from you for a while. I think the, no, the wife's birthday. You're like, dude, I'm headed home for the wife's birthday. I got one one more trip, and and dude, I'm even thinking thinking like, wow, you're almost to the end. And like, I've been talking to you for almost two months and you've been over there so much. And I'm like, wow, he's almost to the end and he hasn't got one yet. I hadn't lost faith in you, but I'm just like, this is, how, this is big buck hunting. This is how it is. There's a lot of times you can just pour your heart and soul into them and you just don't get them. And so then I didn't hear from you there for a couple of days and then you blow my phone up with him. And I remember looking at him. I, I, I should have looked up the text. I probably still got it. I remember saying Booner with a question mark or something like mm-hmm. that. And you were like, maybe, I think so. And the eye guards on that thing. And, 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 and that's why I want to talk about this a little bit. Eye guards can make up for so many inches. And, and I've learned that over the years, you know, I kind of forget about them. I don't pay attention to them, but you know, a buck with, with four or five inch eye guards compared to it, you know, a lot of bucks have one or two inches, man, you're picking up six or seven inches on a net score. When you do that, what did, you've got a score sheet here. What did his eye guards end up being? Uh, they were just total, just under 12 inches. I think maybe yeah. closer to 11 inches. Yeah. So yeah. So his, his, his length of his eye guards on one side was um, five and seven eighths. The other side was four and six eighths. I mean, you, you pick up so many inches on that, but it wasn't just his eye guards, man. He's got great backs on him here. Better put on my peepers here. Um, so his G2, uh, a 17 and 5 eighths and 18 uh, and, and an eighth. Um, his G3s, and Corey and I have talked about this a lot in Idaho. This is where we lose our scores and our G3s and our G4s. Um, they'll have great backs, booner backs, and then they'll have 7-inch G3s. Well, Corey's is 10 and an eighth and 9 and an eighth. And then his G4, uh, uh, 10 and uh, 4 eighths and 12 and 2 eighths. Man, a 12-inch G4. That, that's just incredible. So he had a great front end, and that, that paid off. Yeah, he was built to score, and then his inside spread was over 25 inches, I believe. Yeah, I saw that on here right there. Inside spread, 25. Outside spread, which doesn't count in the score, is 28 and 5 eighths. Um, uh, his, uh, his main beams... And this is, this is, we've talked about this. We get robbed on our main beams a lot. We'll see really good bucks, and they got 22-inch main beams. Not this buck. 24 and 6.8s on the right. 26 and 6.8s uh, on the left. Um, it's, you know, you go to Colorado, it's not uncommon to see bucks with 26, 27-inch main beams. You know, I've measured bucks from guys down there, and um, they're, yeah, I think that's one reason they just have such a great showing in the record book down there. Is they, those bucks have front ends, like this buck here. I mean, mm-hmm. this, this is great. So, um, and then did he get excessive spread credit here? Let's see. Inside spread of his main beams was 25 and 5.8. So, yeah, he's very proportional there uh, to, to his main beams. And I can't even remember Boone and Crockett. I quit netting bucks a long time ago. I can't even remember. Do they penalize us still for having an inside spread that's greater than the shortest main beam? Do you remember? That's a great question. Yeah, I, they used to. They used I to. Don't I don't think. I want to say they do not do that anymore. I don't see it on the score sheet here because they've got your greatest. They've got your inside spread of twenty-five and five eighths, and I don't see it 
in your difference here. So, you know, maybe somebody can chime in on social media and correct me on that if I'm wrong. But this, this, this is why I wanted to have, have Corey on the podcast here. Besides that great story that he just told us and all the persistence that went into it and making good on a tag, um, these, these are rare numbers. So, so the Bucks gross score is 203 and 7 eighths. And uh, this was officially measured by Roger Atwood, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So this, this, these aren't just me and Corey on the Boone and Crockett website typing in numbers here. 203 and 7 eighths gross, 192 and an eighth net. That is a net Boone and Crockett buck. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I mean, how many, how many get killed around here, Corey, a year? I mean, we go years without even hearing about one, right? No, you don't hear about them very often. Man, that's just, for sure. And Roger will tell you the same thing. He'll say, man, you see a lot of bucks in the 185-ish, right around in there. You know, you add them all up. They're just under 190. But, man, you don't see a lot of them net over 190. No. In fact, um, I mean, score is not everything by, sure. by any means. But net wasn't even going through my mind. Mm-hmm. And so I, I rough scored him in the 10, of course, when I got mm-hmm. him back. And, and then, you know, I got just over 200 mm-hmm. on, you know, conservatively. Mm-hmm. And then in my mind is like, well, if I'm going to say I shot a 200 inch buck, he better be a 200 inch buck. Mm-hmm. And so I, then I took him to Roger, who's relatively mm-hmm. close to where I live and he scored him, And, um, you know, he had his, his pen and paper out there. This is green score. Uh-huh. And, you know, he got like 203. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, that is awesome. I did it. You know, uh-huh. I, I got over 200. Yeah. And he's like, well, don't you even want to know what he nets? Uh-huh. And that's <laughs> when it clicked that, you know, he did. He would net all mm-hmm. time. Right. Crockett. Right. So at first, that never even dawned on me that he would net just because it's, it's so rare. And I think when we're judging bucks and you, know, you see bucks, it's just not in the front of our minds. It's not, dude. And I wrote about that in my book. Score is not everything. It's not because there's too many other big bucks out there that don't score well to to just go by score. But when they do score well, I want to give them everything they got. And that's what I think is so cool about this buck Mm -hmm. is, yeah, the 203 gross, that's awesome. That's what we're all looking for, you know, something over 200. But for a buck to tape out, net out um, over 190, it, it's just hardly ever happens, you mm-hmm. know? And so, so to me, that's when I focus on score is when they've got it. Cause they are such special and unique bucks. And man, I don't want to be a, the person that tells you, Hey, you'll never get a bigger one than that. As far as net goes. Um, but you won't see a lot of them. I've, I've only seen about four bucks in my life. I think that netted over, over one ninety four. Wow. Out of thousands mm-hmm. of bucks I, that I was just hands down. Sure. That's a Boone and Crockett net buck four in 35 years of looking. And so that's, that's to me why they're special, but there's a lot of other big bucks out there that don't score well, that I would never want to take anything away from them either. And so that's, that's why I talk about gross most of the time. Exactly. They're all unique in their own way, but when you get a buck that that's built that perfect and, Mm -hmm. and can net it, it is pretty special. Yeah, so good job, man. Incredible story. You got anything else on there you need to add? No, that's about it. I think I hammered it, hammered it out pretty well. Um, no, I, I think we covered it. Awesome, Corey. Well, hey, man, I'm proud of you. You did a good job. And like I said, he's, he's not on social media. He is on Rockslide, though. It's under Vandal? It's under Vandal, that's Just right. straight Vandal. He's an Idaho Vandal. Uh, bangles, we don't want to hear from you. He's an Idaho Vandal, so was I. I'm a half Vandal, half Bangle. Uh, and uh, you, can, you can reach out to him on there. Uh, like I said, this is his fourth buck over 192, over 200 in, 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 in less than 
in a year. You basically two seasons. You got two over two hundred. Yeah, back to back. Good job, buddy. I you worked very very hard for that. Oh, thank Hardest you, working buck hunter I know around here, Corey Dixon. Um, hopefully, in his story, you, you followed it from beginning to end. He did have a draw strategy. His scouting was very methodical, and 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 beyond that. It was very disciplined. He works hard. Um, you know, I, I see him all the time. He's you know, running a business. He's a family man. It's hard for him to cap, carve out those days, but he was committed to it and he stuck to it. Uh, the, the heartache of someone else taking your buck, that's in there. That's going to happen to you if, you if you buck hunt long enough. It's happened to me. But he just kept going and uh, he knew enough about his unit and enough about mule deer that even when he wasn't laying eyes on them. And I never heard you mention trail camera in this entire episode. Were you even running them? I do run, you know, for I scouting. mean, on that hunt. On yeah, that I know hunt, you run. I did not. I didn't did even not run have, a trail camera. You know, a good enough intel to start laying cameras around. Gotcha. To, you know, gotcha. to really know what was going hey, on. Hey, dude, I'm proud of you. You just did it the old-fashioned way. And, and notice how, how close he, he paid attention to tracks, and you've heard me talk about it. When I talk about tracking, I'm talking about the just being aware of tracks, not necessarily tracking a buck. I mean, sometimes you get to do that too, but just being aware of what was going on, and that, that showed him when those deer were moving. And uh, there, there was just that's just such a rich story of all the stuff that you put into it. And I wish I could have seen you driving your tuck down the road, dragging that log. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then something else you mentioned in there, you you just hunted for the love of the hunt and I and, and I see that in, in a lot of guys that are very persistent is yeah we don't want to get skunked it sucks to get skunked I hate it when I don't get a deer but sometimes it's just the love of the hunt that keeps you going and you gotta love it because a lot of times you're gonna get skunked mm -hmm. and I heard you say that a couple times yeah didn't want your hunt to end no and I know you talk a lot about you know being positive mm -hmm. uh, during a hunt during scouting during a hunt mm -hmm. and I always try to remain positive, but the older I get, I've almost admitted to failure that I'm not going to fill the tag because I know how hard it is to kill a big buck. Mm -hmm. And so I never get depressed. I never get down, you know, mm -hmm. during the hunt because mm -hmm. I've basically already, you know, realized how hard it's going to be. Yeah. And how the odds are just so low that you'll actually finish this hunt with a great buck that I'm, mm -hmm. then I'm not disappointed. I'm never yeah. disappointed. Yeah, and, and then it is for the love of the And to hunt. me, being positive, it still has to be reality-based. I mean, you know, as they said in Wayne's World, I guess monkeys could fly out of my butt, <laughs> but they're probably not going to. And so, so, so yeah, I'm with you on that, that, that you, you, you kind of, it's, it, to me, it's not even being negative. It's like, hey, I'm not going to get one on this hunt. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm going to still keep working the process. You know, I'm still out there. I mean, you just had a couple days before it closed, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, I'm still yeah. just going to keep working it. But to me, it's not negative thinking to think, yeah, I'm probably not going to get one, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm disciplined and I'm still out there and I'm going to go as long as, as, as I can practically go, whether that's physically or limited by vacation time, whatever. And, and you know what? I'll just say it. Sometimes I've just given up. I'm just like, I'm tired. I'm done. I've done mm -hmm. everything I can. I'm probably not going to get one. To me, the positive thinking is, is what's keeping me out there is if I'm working the process, it could still happen. Yeah. That, that's what I mean. Where I have been with guys that I'm like, dude, you should just go home. You hate this. You don't even like this. You know, why are you here? And, and, and I've been that guy before too. And that's, so when I'm talking about being positive, that's what I'm trying, that's what I'm trying to not do is just, just give up mentally that this could never happen because, you know, I want, I want to hunt and as long as there's a chance I want to hunt. Yeah. That's yeah. a good point because I mean, when I was younger running up and down the mountains by the night of the opening day, Mm -hmm. I was depressed mm -hmm. or, you know, I was just 
just down. Yeah. And I think it's because I, I didn't have a process. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just running up there and my expectations are high. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you get that first initial letdown, I was deflated. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, that mentality just comes with time, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. But, but, yeah, it's uh, really having a process that helps me fall back on something and you just stick to it. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, at least you had a process. In, exactly. In and at least I got the joy of the hunt. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I always have to, I have to thank God every day that I get to do it. Because if not, I get bitter and I get down. And then I don't hunt as well. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly. what it gets down to. Yep. So awesome, buddy. Great episode. Thanks for making the time to come on. Uh, season opens next week. Um, I know you got everything planned out. I've seen some of the pictures you've scouted this year. Good luck this year. And maybe you and I will get to uh, be on the mountain together this year. Oh, that'd be great. Thank okay. you, Robbie. You bet, man. <laughs>